Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I'm a big fan of money. I have a little. I keep it in a jar. I'd like to put more in that jar. That's where you come in. And your service, Mike Brown and The Money Show on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Hey there, it's been a while. I hope you have your jar ready. I hope you have some time this afternoon to listen to uh, the Mighty Mox, if you will. To, wow, what a throwback that was. Welcome to the KMOX Money Show. I'm Mike Brown. A little rusty. It's been a few months since I've been here with you on a uh, Sunday afternoon, but I'm. I got two hours cleared off the schedule this afternoon, and we're going to talk money, as we both like to do. I certainly hope so. I've been host of the KMOX Money Show here, by the way, for uh, almost 28 years. I'm a certified financial planner professional and a chartered retirement planning counselor. I'm also senior vice president with Raymond James Financial Services and founder, president, and CEO of the Mike Brown Financial Group. Our office is right in Beautiful downtown Clayton, Missouri, 165 North Merrimack Avenue, uh, Suite 200. The phone number there, 314-571-9897. And our website is MikeBrownFG.com. A few things I had to get off the uh, agenda there. Now we can open the phone lines for you. If you want to chat, if you want to talk about money today, I'll open the phone lines for you. This is no recorded program. This is We're live in uh, downtown St. Louis on a warm autumn afternoon, and I would love to hear from you. Let me give you a couple of phone numbers. If you've got a question, something you want to get off your, get off your chest, something you just want to understand that you've never been able to, or maybe you just want to chat, 314-436-7900 is our local number. The toll-free 1-800-925-1120. That's 436-7900-800-925-1120 gets you into the KMOX Money Show. Well, um, as is custom when we're on the air, I'll give you a quick rundown of what the markets did this week. Uh, what's the, you know, what market participants, investors are concerned about these days. Um, we'll have the phone lines open for the full two hours today. And of course, I've brought a few things to talk about. Uh, one of which being a warning this week from Jeremy Siegel, if you ever, uh, if you remember Professor Siegel. Uh, wrote the book Stocks for the Long Run, uh, and he's been, you know, he's not in the business of making predictions. He's kind of a what you'd call a perennial bull, um, but uh, he sees some concerns with uh, the way the economy is going to be able to 
absorb inflation, and he thinks inflation, uh, if it persists in, in whatever form, could cause some problems for the equity markets. We'll talk about that a little bit more. And I know some of you are saying, well, I don't have to worry about market risk. I'm fully diversified. I own shares in an S&P 500 index fund. So I don't have anything to worry about, right? I mean, I'm spread all over these different sectors, 500 different companies. Uh, I'll have some evidence for you today that you may not be as um, diversified, as spread out um, as you might think. You may not have money in as many baskets as you think. We'll talk about that this hour and uh, also take a look at um, what you can do if you're a retiree and you're concerned about inflation. You say, I don't have the option to go back to work or, or make a whole lot more money. What can I do to protect myself if these prices um, you know, continue to go up at, uh, at a pace that I'm not comfortable with for a prolonged period of time? Some tips for you there as well. And then a whole bunch of new stuff in the second hour today as well. We'll have uh, email addresses for you, websites uh, to take you to for more information, more resources. You know, I, I come loaded on Sunday afternoons. I don't get to talk to you very often. And um, I, I just love sharing all this information with you as well. Let's check in on the markets. Not a lot going on on Friday. The Dow um, was down about eight points, the S&P off a little bit. But all the major indexes, the averages, if you will, ended in green for the week. And that's been uh, fairly unusual lately. The Dow was up 1.2% for its best week since June of this year. The S&P 500 was up about eight-tenths of 1% for its best week since August. And the NASDAQ was um, just shy of one-tenth of one percent. So let's call it a draw over on the NASDAQ. The big news of the week uh, came out of the Labor Department, the monthly jobs report. Uh, and think about what, you know, put this in context and, and why the market was a little surprised at all this. And thankfully, we had some good news to balance it out. But um, this was the month, September, was the month when millions of work, over 6 million workers, uh, lost their unemployment insurance, lost that extension of unemployment benefits, and were forced to get back to work, or so we thought. Um, the economists were expecting about half a million jobs to be added to the economy in the month of September. This, you know, they're the checks have stopped. Everybody's going to go back to work. The economy's going to get growing again. 500,000 jobs, we think, will be created in September. It was less than 200,000. To be precise, more like 194,000, a major, major disappointment as far as jobs go. Um, but still, there were some, you know, reasonably good news uh, items to come out of that as well. The unemployment rate actually fell. Uh, the... Um, a lot of things that, that go into that number. You can't just say, well, it's down, it's good news, it's up, it's bad news. You have to take it all in context. Overall, still a disappointing number. The market's got enough things to worry about. Um, they're concerned about uh, slowing economic momentum because of uh, what we've just been through with the Delta uh, version of the coronavirus. Uh, you've got China's Evergrande, uh, that major company there on the verge, perhaps, of default. Its bonds are trading, um, you know, pennies on the dollar these days. We've got surging energy prices. And heaven help us what's going on in Washington, D.C. with the debt ceiling and so on. 
So it's no surprise that investors have been really nervous and the market's been down a little bit. Um, although this week we seem to head back in the right direction um, because, you know, we there's maybe there's some hope that some of these things won't be as bad as we think or that we're getting through them. In fact, when you talk about market pullbacks, you may not realize that uh, we have actually had a 5% pullback. That is, you know, par for the course, historically speaking. Um, typically, every year to year and a half, we have a, a, what's called a correction. Market prices are down 10% or more. Uh, but people get a little excited when they see the market going up and up and up and up, and then we get a 5% pullback. In fact, the one we just had came at the end of the second longest time period ever without a 5% pullback. So we had this big sell-off, um, remember, if you will, the um, in the first quarter of 2020 when the economy was being shut down, when we had no idea what we were going to do about COVID-19, uh, and um, the markets dropped sharply. And then we had a sudden recovery, and the market's been very strong ever since. A long, long time period without even a 5% pullback, which we typically have a couple of times a year. Second longest period ever. We just had one. We we have relieved a little bit of pressure, perhaps, uh, in the markets. Now, as far as politics goes, uh, you probably heard that uh, they have reached a temporary deal in Congress on the debt ceiling, avoiding the potential for an unprecedented debt default until at least early December. People were jumping all over that. Oh, this is going to be the end of the world. We're, this one's different, and we're, they're not going to fix it, and and uh, we're going to default on our debts, and the market and the economy is going to collapse all over again. But just like every other time, virtually, I mean, we have to go back 10 years before we actually saw this erupt into a crisis. And it was no crisis uh, this time. Uh, the... Um, you know, if if you're political, you might uh, argue that the Republicans may have blinked and said, no, let's let's take it off the table for a couple of months and we'll be going through this all over again in December. But in any case, we're not having to go through it right now. Um, and then we talk about inflation. Um, there's a very good possibility. We'll get a report this week, uh, this coming week on the consumer price index, the prices you and I pay for things. Uh, and we're expecting to see not a dramatic increase, but a, a pretty solid number uh, showing that inflation is not going away in the next day or two. It's going to be with us perhaps for a while, and who knows, maybe we'll get through it without any any major disruptions. But those and other things what the market participants are having to deal with uh, lately. So far this year, a um, couple of sectors have been really positive standouts. Energy, as I mentioned. Uh, you know, the energy sector itself in terms of the stocks and the S&P 500, energy stocks year-to-date are up over 50% year-to-date, and the S&P 500 is uh, up less than 20%. So energy has been a big sector. Financials have been a big sector as well. The disappointing areas in the market lately, utilities and uh, consumer staples, the things that people buy um, when, you know, things to keep around. And the problem is lately we can't find them. They're, the staples aren't there. So we'll, uh, we'll have to deal with that uh, as well in terms of supply chain disruptions and so on, probably uh, for another couple of quarters at a very minimum. 
Okay, that's enough money and numbers and statistics and economy and all that business. Why don't we take a, a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about inflation. We'll talk about a guy who gets a lot of attention because he's, uh, he's right more than he's wrong, which is pretty unusual on Wall Street. And uh, Jeremy Siegel says he does not think the market is prepared for sustained inflation. We'll tell you why. And uh, lots more as the KMOX Money Show continues right after this. Money. 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 (laughs) At your service, Mike Brown and the Money Show on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Money indeed. Free money from Congress and the Federal Reserve and the White House. And it's being dumped into our economy. And we get this money. And we're either they either give it to us or we're able to borrow it for almost 0% interest. And we want to spend it. And there's nothing to spend it on. Right? You, you, if you ever, if you took economics in, uh, in college or high school even, you understand supply and demand. Um, and, and generally speaking, if there's a lot of money chasing goods that aren't there or certainly not there in the quantities that we're accustomed to seeing, the convenience we're accustomed to having, prices go up until things start to equalize again. And that's inflation. If it sticks around, we say things are inflationary. And generally speaking, the equity markets don't handle that particularly well. Uh, especially if they're surprised, and uh, one person at least uh, believes the markets have been surprised and will be surprised to learn that inflation um, may stick around for a while. Uh, interesting piece this weekend, um, Jeremy Siegel, and and I, I've I love his book Stocks for the Long Run. Uh, the second book that he wrote, The Future for Investors, I think is just as good, but people haven't heard of it. If, you're, if you really want to study the markets uh, from a historical point of view and from a, a rational, common sense point of view, I certainly would recommend that you read either or both of those books, um, certainly um, Stocks for the Long Run, even though it's been out for a long time now. But uh, Jeremy Siegel, he's a, a finance professor at uh, Wharton, really known to be a positive guy. He, he's Long-term, you can't bet against the market. Uh, because, um, you know, the market reflects the economy and the innovation and ingenuity of, uh, of American industry, and uh, it's going to do fine in the long run, he believes. Uh, so when he says, I see a problem, people start to pay attention, and that's what they're doing right now, because he believes that Wall Street's on the verge of an uncharacteristically painful quarter. The quote on CNBC, inflation in general is going to be a much bigger problem than the Fed believes. There's going to be pressure on the Fed to accelerate its taper process. And I do not believe that the market is prepared for an accelerated taper. That according to Jeremy Siegel. Um, A big departure from his uh, bullish stance that he's maintained all year long. Inflation... You know, they they quote him back in January, inflation wasn't a concern at all and hasn't been a concern for years and years. But uh, Siegel now says the biggest threat facing Wall Street is Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell stepping away from easy money, money policies much sooner than expected because of surging inflation. 
I saw a report this week saying that the odds were now 50-50 that we will see interest rates actually increase, the Fed, that is, raising interest rates, uh, within the next three quarters. So sometime, you know, mid-2020, or 2022, rather, sorry, uh, the Fed could raise interest rates. The odds are being pegged at 50-50 in the bond market today. Uh, Siegel goes on to say that we all know that a lot of the levity of the equity market is related to the liquidity that the Fed has provided. If that's going to be taken away faster, that also means that interest rate hikes are going to occur sooner. Uh, And both of these things are not positives, he says, for the equity markets. He is particularly concerned, Jeremy Siegel is, about the impact on growth stocks, particularly technology. Now, log this fact away, if you will, and we'll take another break here in a couple of minutes. But log in the fact that he's saying that uh, technology stocks, he believes technology, that the technology sector is most sensitive to inflation. Uh, And he believes there will be a tilt toward value-oriented stocks. And that bodes well for companies, relatively speaking, that benefit from rising rates, companies that have pricing power, companies that deliver dividends and and increase those dividends over time. Um, An inflationary backdrop, according to Jeremy Siegel, may set up underperformers like utilities and consumer staples. I mentioned at the beginning of the program today, those have been the two lagging sectors, uh, by and large, of the overall market this year. Utilities and consumer staples, both of those sectors are known for stable dividends, and he thinks as a long-term investment, that may be the way to look. That's one person's opinion. Uh, A respected opinion, albeit, but um, it's Wall Street, their opinions are a dime a dozen. Pick the ones that you believe or you are most influenced by. And in the short run, you base your expectations on on that and other factors. In the long run, of course, Siegel, Jeremy Siegel continues to say we're in good shape. The economy's in good shape. Our companies are in good shape. The markets overall are in good shape. But in the short run, markets tend to be very volatile. They don't like surprises. And certainly if inflation um, rem- sticks around and the forcing the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates well before it wants to, um, that could, in his opinion, pose a problem. Remember what Jerome Powell said just a few months ago when we had the, the first little blip upward in inflation. He says, we're, you know, we're aware of it. We think it's transitory. We don't think it's going to be a problem. We think it's all supply chain related, COVID related, um, you know, people bouncing back, trying to buy goods with the money that they have and there have been some supply chain disruptions. This will work itself out. This won't be a big deal. And then they said, would you ever, you know, are, are you at the point of considering raising interest rates? And the Fed chairman said, we are not even at the point where we think about thinking about raising interest rates. Now, that was just a couple of months ago. And now he's saying we're ready to pull the trigger perhaps sooner than later because we're worried about inflation. So, Um, You wonder sometimes if the Federal Reserve knows much more than the rest of us about really what's going on, Uh, but still a very, very powerful organization. Uh, And um, we'll see. We will just see. 
We will see about taking a quick commercial break here for you. And when we come back, remember what I just said about technology being a vulnerable sector in the markets today. And uh, there is a very good possibility, knowing who I'm talking to this afternoon, uh, that some of you may own, let's say, an S&P 500 index fund and say, well, what do I care I own 500 different companies in this single investment. I'm broadly diversified. Uh, You may be in for a little surprise yourself when we come back on the KMOX Money Show. Get ready for Sunday Night Football as the Chiefs take on the Bills. Touchdown, Kansas City! Hear the game here. Pre-game at 6, kickoff 720 on your voice of the Chiefs. KMOX. Welcome back. It's the KMOX Money Show. I'm your host, Mike Brown. Uh, Before we get back into the fun stuff, uh, if you're a new listener to this program or if for whatever reason you're not getting my weekly email that we call Wealth and Wisdom, listen up. I'm going to show you how to get that. It doesn't cost anything. It's not spam. There are no commercials. We don't try to sell you anything or do anything with your email address. This is a public service that we have tied to the KMOX Money Show for those weeks, as most weeks are, that I'm not here with you, you know, because of baseball or football or, you know, Dave Simons and and myself splitting time here on Sunday afternoons. But uh, years ago, my team and I started uh, putting together a weekly email newsletter. We call it Wealth and Wisdom. And it's it's been a good way over the years for you and I to stay in touch when I'm not here on Sundays, in addition to the things that you hear me talk about when I am here, uh, you will get, uh, even during those weeks when I'm not here, my top ideas of the week, uh, some pro tips that uh, will uh, you can put into practice on the spot, timely information about the financial markets, the economy, your retirement, longevity issues. I also put links to all my favorite research resources so you can read the same things I'm reading during the week. Again, what you you will not get are those pop-up ads and sales pitches and all those annoying things about e-newsletters. My subscribers will tell you they don't see any of those things because it's not what the newsletter's for. It's purely educational. We don't share your email address with third parties. You can unsubscribe with a click of a button anytime you want. So if you'd like to get your own issue of Wealth and Wisdom every week, we publish this uh, most Monday mornings except for some holidays or if I'm traveling or what have you. Uh, Almost every week we send this out on Monday morning. If you'd like to get yours tomorrow, send an email right now to this address, info at mikebrownfg.com. Info at MikeBrownFG.com, and you can put, send me the newsletter, newsletter, wealth and wisdom. I'll know what it's about because you and I are having this chat this afternoon. We'll get you started first thing tomorrow morning, and uh, once you get a chance to look through it, I hope you'll find some ideas that you can put into practice right away. Uh, at the very least, uh, you'll you'll know what the pros are reading. You'll know what's important. You'll be able to put... Uh, things in perspective as an investor as well. So we'd love to hear from you. Send that email to info at mikebrownfg.com. Now, 
on to the subject of investing and um, ex- or index funds, mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, however you choose to own index funds um, is not important. What's important is what that index is made up of. And a lot of investors feel that if, okay, if I buy an S&P 500 index fund, I'm diversified. By definition, I own 500 different companies. So I'm not overexposed to any one particular industry or sector or group of stocks. And I'm not going to I'm not taking extra risk by owning this index fund. It's it's a lower risk investment, right? Well, we all know diversification is one of the most important concepts in finance. And true, by holding a larger number of companies in your portfolio, you do substantially reduce your portfolio's risk. Some stocks go up, some stocks go down. They don't all tend to do the same thing at the same time, especially if they're in different industries. Uh, so by the time you have all 500 stocks in, in, in the S&P 500 through one fund, surely you assume that you're just about as diversified as you can be, right? I mean, how many stocks do I have to own to be diversified? In principle, you're absolutely right. In reality, you're absolutely wrong because that's not the way the S&P 500 is put together. This particular index, and it's probably the most uh, influential market index in the world today, uh, it does contain a lot of different stocks, right around 500, not exactly. Um, And it does um, not necessarily, however, uh, hold, you know, each one of those companies is not necessarily as, uh, as, as influential or have as much impact on the index or the uh, average as others. That's because Standard & Poor's, when it put together its index, uh, decided to use what's called market capitalization to weight each security in the S&P 500. Now, what is market capitalization? Uh, You take the number of shares a company has outstanding, you multiply that by the current price, and that gives you a lot of money. For example, Apple has about 16 billion shares outstanding. 16 billion shares. Uh, and at uh, the current price, let's just say a recent price, $150, Apple has a market capitalization of you know, $2.4, $2.5 trillion. Okay? Keep that thought in mind. Apple, $2.5 trillion market capitalization. Ford Motor Company, also in the S&P 500, of course, big automotive uh, company, has a $55 billion market capitalization. So if your portfolio, if you own the S&P 500 through an index fund, you'll have 50 times the dollar investment in Apple as you do in Ford. Now, that's neither good nor bad. It's just the way the index is put together. As the market stands today, here's the rub. The largest stocks always are going to have the highest market capitalization and the higher weight in the S&P 500, and sometimes things get a little out of whack. For example, the top 10 stocks in the S&P 500, the top 10 companies, 
are 25% of the index's weight in terms of capitalization. So when those 10 companies move, the S&P 500 moves. When company number 500 moves, you don't notice it. Understand? And if we start to look at sectors, industry sectors, the technology sector now comprises 40% of the S&P 500. So you think you've got this broadly diversified index investment. I own a little bit of everything. I'm not overly focused on any particular industry. No, 40% of your investment is in the technology sector. Now, that might be great. You like technology stocks? Great. Just understand what it is you own. Also understand that the technology tilt, this, this weighting of so much in one sector, is at, a, at an historic high. The only time it even came close to where it is today was in the year 2000. Were you around 21 years ago uh, to remember what happened in 2000? That was the tech telecom bubble. The tech telecom bubble burst. I'm not making a prediction, not even saying it's remotely possible that we live through that again. But the only time the tech sector has been this concentrated within the S&P 500 was in 2000, and things did not end well. The S&P uh, dropped nearly 50%, partly because of the dot-com bubble in tech, telecom, and media stocks uh, when that bubble burst. So again, I'm not making any predictions. I don't do that. I don't like to be wrong that often. All I'm saying is understand what you own. If you're going to own shares of Apple, you're going to own shares of Ford, you're going to own shares of any company, understand the company. If you're going to just dismiss the fact that you need to think about these things just by buying an index mutual fund or ETF, you're wrong. You got to look under the hood and see where your risks are building and act accordingly. We'll be right back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Money. 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 <laughs> At your service, Mike Brown and The Money Show on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Boy, we got some news this week that was just really disheartening. I mean, these uh, reports come out all the time um, how the pandemic is affecting different groups of people, whether it's minorities or, you know, women versus men, young versus old. Uh, it appears uh, that COVID-19 is taking a cruel toll on the health of older Americans. And now this new study out by the Commonwealth Fund Foundation 
shows that the coronavirus has been equally, if not more uh, brutal to them financially. So we know, you know, the elderly are most at risk with, uh, with, with this uh, health crisis and now appear to be just as vulnerable uh, financially as well. 2021 International Health Policy Survey of Older Adults shows that Americans 65-plus have been facing greater economic hardship and health care disruption than people their age in 10 other wealthy nations, in some cases far, far greater. Uh, the findings were released this week after the U.S. Census reported that median household incomes for Americans 65-plus fell by 3.3 percent from 2019 to 2020. It's about $46,400 a year. Um, The median household income dropped by 2.6% for those under 65. So everybody's income seemed to fall, but um, more of a concentration among older Americans. Another new international survey from Natixis Investment Managers named the U.S. number 17, the 17th uh, country in the world for retiree well-being. Uh, Where do retirees have it best, you wonder? Iceland. If you are so inclined, Iceland is a great place to retire, at least financially. The U.S. number 17 in the world. Here's some statistics from uh, those uh, surveys. 19%, so about one out of five older Americans reported they used up their savings or lost their main source of income because of the pandemic. That, you know, running out of money in retirement is the last thing you want to have to think about. It's four to six times the rate uh, than Germany, Switzerland, the Netherlands, and Sweden. Uh, Nearly four in ten older Hispanic adults and one in three older black adults said they experienced economic difficulties related to the pandemic. Much higher number than, um, you know, than, than the overall population. 37% of older Americans with two or more chronic conditions reported pandemic-related disruptions in their health care. 23% of Americans 65-plus who needed help with activities of daily living during the pandemic, things like eating, getting dressed, didn't get that help because of caregiving services that were canceled or extremely cut back. So it's not only affecting their health, it's affecting the way they live and certainly their pocketbooks. And then finally, almost half of all Medicare beneficiaries did not see a dentist in the past year or don't have dental coverage, according to the National Council on Aging. So this has been a really traumatic experience for a lot of people, a lot of groups in our country, uh, but none more than the 65-plus population almost across the board. Thinking in those terms, we, and we talked about inflation a little earlier in the hour, um, older Americans uh, who have retired that are on fixed income, one of the biggest threats to their financial well-being, you know, on top of the virus and all the other things that they're going through, is inflation. Because, you know, you and I are working, and if we have inflation, chances are our incomes are going to increase as well. Not if you're retired. What, what's the problem if you're retired? You don't have the option. You're not working anymore. You can't get a raise in a lot of circumstances. I will have some advice for you. If you are retired today and you're being affected by inflation or think you will be or are just worried that you might be, 
and you want some things to combat that, I'll have some ideas for you. Uh, as we wrap up our number one of the KMOX Money Show, we'll be back for you right after this. Money. 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 <laughs> At your service, Mike Brown and the Money Show on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Inflation, fixed income, and 65 plus, three things that do not mix well. As we uh, wind down our number one of the KMOX Money Show, some advice for those of you on a fixed income in retirement, and you're reading these headlines about inflation, and it's starting to scare you. It should, especially if interest rates are, or I'm sorry, inflation is rising faster than what your income is doing. And if your income is largely Social Security, you know you've been behind now for several years. The rate of Social Security increases has been lower than the rate of inflation probably for more than a decade. Now, are you going to get a big raise next year? You're going to see probably 6% plus uh, increases in Social Security. That's a catch-up. That's not going to get you ahead too far. Here are some things you can do with the time we have left this hour uh, to save some money and combat inflation on a personal level. Number one, pay attention to this Medicare open enrollment. October 15th to December 1st comes around every year when you've got the right to make changes to your uh, you know, Medicare Advantage or your prescription drug coverage and so on. Um, that's an opportune time to understand what Medicare pays, what it doesn't if you're new to the system, and also uh, manage that risk uh, and potentially save yourself some money in the same um, in the same breath. If you have not started drawing Social Security benefits yet, consider postponing those. That's our second idea. The longer you wait up until age 70, they give you nice big raises that are higher than the rate of inflation historically. So you got to pay attention to that. And if there's some way to live off your savings or to postpone retirement, if you're thinking about it, in order to get a higher benefit from Social Security, I think you should consider it. Number three is kind of an obvious one. Adjust your spending habits. If your costs are going up and your income isn't, you got to do something about spending. Uh, so maybe it's, you know, you, you, you're you used to buying a new car when you pay off the old one. Well, maybe pay off the old one and, and keep putting that money away into savings, uh, but postpone uh, the next car purchase for a year or two and let that money build up over time. Idea number four, refinance your mortgage if you still have one uh, at this point in your life. Interest rates are pretty low, and the, again, the bias is toward higher interest rates in the future. If you haven't refinanced and have an opportunity to, especially if you're going to be in the house for a while, another way to save money. If you do own a home, get a, get a home energy audit. You'd be surprised how much money this can save you. The utility companies basically do it for free, um, they have a vested interest in this, and of course you do because you're the one paying the uh, electricity bill and the, and the gas bill and so on. Uh, debt should not be a problem in retirement. Even if you've got a mortgage, that's okay. But if you've got credit card debt, you've got to do something to, to be paying that off because the interest rates are uh, usually higher than inflation. And then the final thing, of course, I think is another no-brainer once you reach that age is you know, don't be afraid to take advantage of senior discounts and membership organizations, AARP, AAA. There's some good opportunities there to save money uh, for their members. 
Uh, and even if you're not a member of those organizations and, and you're, you're going somewhere, you're taking a trip, you're making a big purchase, uh, or just eating a meal somewhere, ask them if they've got a senior discount. Um, it may not be advertised, may not be well-known, doesn't cost you a thing to, to ask for it. And if you do get it, you'll save money. A lot of times you don't know until you ask. Good news is we've got another full hour of the KMOX Money Show after uh, CBS and KMOX News at the top of the hour. We're going to talk about some myths, going to bust some myths about 529 plans, how to use health savings accounts in retirement, and so on. Hope you'll stay with us. We'll be right back after the news. Money. 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 <laughs> at your service, Mike Brown and the Money Show on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. So darn the luck, we did not hit 90 degrees here in October in uh, in St. Louis. Color me not disappointed in that, Stuart. Yeah, I know. It's, it, it seemed like uh, we should be doing bonfires and, like, <laughs> you know, getting the old marshmallows out and stuff and hot cocoa, not be and, sitting here sweating, uh, sweating it out. Instead, we're still frying eggs on our uh, <laughs> front of our cars. Thanks so much. No uh, welcome back. It's the KMOX Money Show, folks. If uh, you have a... Uh, question on your mind or something you want to get off your mind in terms of finances, you've got one hour to do it and two phone numbers, 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. Both are free. And so is the advice and worth every penny. My name is Mike Brown. It's the KMOX Money Show. Uh, Happy to be with you for yet another hour today. And Again, this doesn't happen often. Remember, we get preempted in this time slot quite a bit for uh, baseball and, of course, football now with the Chiefs. Uh, So I'm happy to be here at your service, totally unencumbered. Uh, Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. I won't pick stocks for you. I won't tell you what mutual fund to own. Uh, That's not my job. My job is to make you a smarter investor. And if you're working with a financial advisor, as I I really hope you are, a good one, uh, I want to make sure that you get your money's worth for the advice that you're paying for and help you ask better questions because the, you know, the, the more you understand about this process, the more effective your financial advisor can be. Now, one of the things that they will talk to you about, uh, or if you're doing this on your own, one of the things you have heard about when it comes to saving money for a child's college education is, of course, the 529 college savings plans. Uh, most people, I think, are familiar with these. Certainly, if you have if you have kids in, in high school or even younger, you probably know what a 529 plan is. But there's still a lot of misconceptions, a lot of myths, if you will. Uh, what they are um, are tax-advantaged accounts set up by all 50 states, each of the 50 states has its own plan, or at least one plan. Um, the earnings, you, you, you put money in these plans, you may get a state income tax deduction. Like if you, for example, if you live in Missouri and you contribute to the MOST program, Missouri's 529, you get a limited uh, income tax deduction on your state income taxes. Nothing on the federal level, but... All the earnings that accrue, uh, if they are eventually used for qualified uh, expenses, educational expenses, that money comes out free of federal tax and, in most cases, free of state tax as well. 
But here's where people uh, get confused. There, there are several areas uh, where people get confused. A lot of people, for example, think that you have to invest in the plan from your state. In other words, if I live in Missouri and my child wants to go to college, uh, he or she can go anywhere they want, but I can't save except through the Missouri Most program, and that is simply not true. As I mentioned, every state offers a 529 plan. You do not have to choose the one offered by your home state. You don't even have to choose the one uh, that uh, in the state where your child is going to school. So you could be from, um, you know, Arizona and invest in the Missouri Most program uh, and your child ends up going to Harvard. Three different states, one 529 plan, and you can do it. Uh, but I will say that uh, some states do offer a limited state income tax advantage for using the one in their own state. And um, if you're not in Missouri, if you're in other states listening to me this afternoon, um, you'll want to check and see what uh, your options are, what your state income tax uh, deduction is, if any. Second area of confusion and I hear this a lot. I say, well, I would save for my child's education, um, you know, on a 529 plan, but boy, that's just going to destroy um, my chances of getting or his or her chances of getting financial aid. Because the more I save, the less they're going to give him. That's just the way the system works. The truth is it will impact the, your student's age package, but not probably by as much as you think. It'll reduce your student's financial aid typically by a maximum of 5.64% of the plan's value. Okay, so even if somehow you could get a million dollars, which may be what Harvard costs these days, I don't know, um, in a 529 plan, uh, only 5.64%, $56,000, that wouldn't pay for breakfast at Harvard. So it's not like it's going to jeopardize your financial aid. And by the way, uh, that is after the approximately $10,000 that falls under the asset protection allowance, which all kids um, qualify for. And if you think about it, if you save money in a, you know, a bank savings account or a CD for college, that is treated the same way in terms of reducing 5.64% of that money will come off of their eligibility for college financial aid. You would more than likely choose the 529 plan because you have better investment options than CDs and savings accounts and can possibly, likely over time, get a better return. Number three, and people say, well, you know, I, I'm um, thinking about putting money in a 529 plan for our kids, but I'm not sure they're going to go to college. Um, what happens then? It's, you know, this is just for college, right? Well, it's for qualified expenses, which include, of course, the traditional things like tuition, room, board, fees, uh, books, things like that, the essentials. Of course, you can use 529 money for that. But did you know you can also use money to buy your child a laptop to use in college or pay for their internet service? Those are all things you can take money out of a 529 for. Uh, and it's not just undergrad. You can, uh, you can pay for grad school. And it doesn't even have to be college undergrad. It could be a trade school, even an apprenticeship. 
uh, anything that has a tuition that is for post-secondary education um, can be used, uh, 529 money can be used for. A couple of other things people don't know. You can pay off up to $10,000 of qualified student loans out of a 529 plan. That's a qualified expense. Now, that's $10,000 over your lifetime. So if you pay off a loan for $10,000, that's it. But still, uh, that's a good deal, and most people don't know about that. And you can also pay up to $10,000 every year out of your 529 plan for a child's K-12 through private school. So if they're going, you know, to, to a private school somewhere and, um, and maybe college is taken care of, good for you, you can use this money if you need to or want to to pay for um, private school. Myth number four about 529 plans. Oh, I'm, I'm going to lose all this money if my child decides not to go to college. Not necessarily so. In fact, not so in any fashion. For starters, if you've got more than one child in the same family, you can change the beneficiary. So your first child decides not to go to college, you take his uh, 529 money and move it over into his sister's name and let her use it for college. Uh, But even if nobody uses it, you can take your money, it belongs to you. The investment that you made initially, the money you put into the 529 plan, comes out tax-free and penalty-free. You've already paid taxes on it. You didn't get a tax deduction on the federal level for putting money into the 529 plan. You don't get taxed on the federal level or penalized for taking out your contributions. Now, the growth portion, the, the profits, what you made on that money, if you take it out for something other than a qualified expense, yes, taxes plus a 10% early withdrawal penalty. No free lunch. Myth number five about 529 plans. Oh, I, you know, I've waited too long. My, my kid just entered high school. We only got four years left. What's the point of putting money in a 529 plan? Well, for one thing, you know college is expensive and anything you can put away is going to help. I mean, even if it's just enough to pay for books or, you know, a meal plan or what have you. It does add up, even if you don't have 18 years of savings. Keep in mind also, though, that you don't have to stop contributing to a 529 plan when your child starts college. So let's say they're, you know, they're getting into their freshman year of high school now. Well, there's four years, but then college is another four years. That's eight years worth of deposits. Now, the money you put in in those later years, yeah, I agree, is not going to grow enormously, I wouldn't think, with that short a time horizon. But look at what you've got. You've got eight years worth of savings that can be used for college. Any of the growth, if it's used for qualified expenses, comes out income tax-free, no penalties. And if you're putting money into a plan in your own state and your state gives you an income tax deduction, voila. And we we did this with with our son years and years ago. Um, Got into the 529 scene rather late because they hadn't been out that long, actually. Uh, And we actually put money into a 529 plan for him uh, during his junior year of high school, took the money out uh, just a little over uh, a year later, a year and a half later, took advantage of the state income tax break and a little bit of growth, and it all came out and was used for college. Did it pay for all four years at WashU? No, absolutely not. But it helped. It all helps. And then the final thing I'll say on 529 plans, 
the tax advantage does matter. Let me give you a hypothetical example. You open a 529 plan with $10,000 on the day your child is born. Okay? That's, that's a real nice gift, by the way. And then you deposit $500 a month in this 529 plan for 18 years. And let's say, hypothetically, you get a 6% annual return on average. What does that add up to by the time college starts? With the tax advantages, $220,000. Okay, that's $10,000 on their birth date, $500 a month for 18 years, earning a hypothetical 6% return turns into $220,000. If you had to pay taxes on the growth, if you're an average taxpayer, you would only have $172,000 for college, much less than two hundred and twenty. dollars So the tax advantages do matter. 529 plans. All that information uh, and everything I talk about today is going to be in uh, this week's Wealth and Wisdom. I'll talk to you about that in just a second on the KMOX Money Show. Stay with us. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Money. 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 <laughs> At your service, Mike Brown and the Money Show on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Hey, welcome back. We've got Edward holding uh, on phone line here very patiently and uh, want to take his call before we go any further. Edward, hi. Welcome to the Money Show. Thank you, Michael. Very nice. Happy Sunday to you and to yours. And to you as well. Thanks. Thank you. I wish you would uh, explain to your listeners. I know probably a vast majority of them are searching for income in this day of almost 1%. You're lucky if you get 1.2% on your money. Mm -hmm. Explain to them the rule of 72 and also that there are three wonderful areas of investment that yield Return of capital are dividends in the range of 8 to 13%. Okay. And those are master limited partnerships um, like USAC, um, compression, all compression yielding 12.4, not KNOP, which has tankers that move the oil from the offshore to the re- to the uh, receiving terminals on land. Okay, Edward, let me uh, let me let me interject here because we typically sure. don't get into individual names. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. In terms well, of then, you then, know, then just explain, uh, tell them about uh, business development companies and mm-hmm. REITs. I have a whole list, and the and the list goes, as I say, eleven percent, twelve percent. I mean, please educate them on the, you know. Uh, attractiveness of those vehicles okay. for investment. Right. Thank you. Good. Thank sure. You, sure. Thank you, Edward. Appreciate the phone call. Let's talk about that for a couple of minutes. Edward says, "Okay, you know, you you, you take your money to the bank and you or you buy bonds or whatever it is. You're not going to get much uh, in terms of interest rates because the Fed 
has been holding interest rates at practically zero now for years and years and years and years. Um, now, he says there are investments out there that pay much, much higher yields. And he wanted me to talk about the rule of 72, which will help you if you're trying to build wealth. It gives you an idea, at least, of how money can grow. Uh, let's talk about that for a second. The rule of 72 says... Um, you, you take the interest rate or the rate of return on an investment and you uh, divide that into 72, and that gives you the number of years it'll take for that money to double. So if you have an investment paying 6% or earning 6% a year, uh, it's going to double. Your money's going to double in 12 years. And then, you know, to Edward's point, he says, hey, if I've got an investment that's yielding or paying me 12% interest, wow. That money's going to double in six years, uh, which is theoretically true. Now, I will um, point out a few things. Um, number one, if you're investing for income, then your money's not going to double because you're going to be spending that 6% or 12% or 2% or anything in between. And if you're an income investor, you may be enticed at these higher rates that he was referring to on a few investments and in a few sectors, real estate investment trusts, master limited partnerships, business development corporations, BDCs. I would encourage you, and I don't certainly have time to make you an expert in all these areas, um, I would encourage you to look into them if you're an income investor my concern with them twofold. Number one, they're a little complex from a tax point of view because part of that return is a return of capital, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as you understand how it works. Uh, there may be some tax issues as well in terms of where this money is held and how it gets taxed as you earn this income. And uh, my, my final point would be, and again, it's hard to argue against a double-digit yield, I would want to make sure, number one, that the yield is secure. And I have seen circumstances where the yield looked great and the price of the investment collapsed underneath, uh, which didn't help help matters at all either. I'm not, again, trying to dismiss uh, his recommendations or his suggestions that you look into these things for income because they can be, in the right situation, a good way to diversify an income-oriented portfolio. And again, just to throw my own um, my own biases into this, uh, I, as opposed to reaching for those big yields, have been more comfortable over my investment career um, owning, for example, really high-quality companies that pay traditional uh, dividends, but most importantly, increase those dividends over time. In that case, you're saying, okay, I'm willing to accept a little bit lower return in terms of my income today in exchange for an income that may grow faster than inflation. May not, of course, nothing that we've talked about is in any way guaranteed by anyone. But a lot of people uh, might see the wisdom of saying, okay, I'm comfortable with a 3% yield if it grows 10% a year, if that dividend grows 10% a year. And other investors, perhaps like Edward, would say, no, I'm going to go for the gusto and I'm going to take that, you know, 8 or 9 or 10 or 12 percent yield today and, and hope that it is sustainable. Uh, there are no easy answers when it comes to investing, especially for investing uh, for income. Uh, you take your chances, you diversify, you spread the risk, you manage the risk, 
and you deal with the consequences of your own decisions. And I would certainly encourage every investor listening to us this afternoon, regardless of what you're considering buying, even if it's a 1% CD down at the bank, what are the risks involved in that? Well, think about that. Even a 2% CD down at the bank. Yeah, it's safe. It's FDIC insured. I'm not going to lose my principal. I may lose my purchasing power if the yield that I get, the 2% that I get, especially if I have to pay taxes on that yield, and now maybe it's 1.5%, which is a lot less than the current rate of inflation and the historic rate of inflation. So even the safest investments, the things that we think are no-brainers, are not no-brainers once we think it through. Uh, You've got to earn a return over and above the rate of inflation over time. Otherwise, you're losing purchasing power. Uh, And that's tough to do with the higher inflation numbers that we're seeing today. Okay, let's take a break. Uh, When we come back, we'll talk about um, how to use – we'll change gears a little bit – how to use health savings accounts or HSAs. We get a lot of questions on HSAs. Uh, As as an income – Um, supplement, if you will, in retirement. A lot of people don't understand how these things work. We'll dive into that a little bit, and I promise you I'll give you the email address one more time uh, to sign up for our weekly Wealth and Wisdom uh, newsletter that we send out to our KMOX listeners every Monday morning. You can get yours, but just hang with me for a couple of minutes. I'll give you that address right after we come back on the KMOX Money Show. Your home of Abilicans, Chiefs, and Cardinals. I like sports. Listening to sports. America's Sports Voice. KMOX. Nothing but the hippest music here on the KMOX Money Show. Thanks to our producer, Mike Anderson, with us this afternoon. Welcome back. We're uh, winding down through hour number two of our um, At Your Service this afternoon on KMOX. Unbiased, understandable, I hope, financial advice for those of you uh, who need it. And um, I want to give you this email address again before I forget. And then, Anthony, hang tight. We're going to take your call in uh, just about 30 seconds. A lot of you get this. In fact, several thousand of you we know get this uh, email every Monday morning. We call it Wealth and Wisdom, um, hoping that the uh, latter gives you more of the former. Uh, so I'm uh, happy to pass my thoughts along every week. That, you know, I just give you about 10 good ideas, links to resources, things um, I think you should read if you're interested in certain areas, trying to keep you up to date on uh, things. If I'm on the uh, radio like today, uh, there'll be a, a, a resource for every uh, thing I talk about. And it's free and it's not spam and it's not uh, – there's no advertising and we don't do anything with your email address and so on. Uh, it's just good stuff and, and people get this email. They like it. They send it to their friends. And if for whatever reason you're not getting it, I would love for you to, uh, to start uh, reading it. Uh, and I'll send you one. Our uh, our team will send you one first thing tomorrow morning. If you will send us an email to info at mikebrownfg.com. You got that? Info at mikebrownfg.com. And just tell us you want the newsletter. We'll send you one. If you like it, great. If you don't, click the unsubscribe button. Uh, no harm, no foul, no harm, no hurt feelings. Uh, But if you get something from it, um, as so many people apparently do, 
uh, then, then we've done our job a little bit and extended our service here as a kind of an extension of the KMOX Money Show. And it's a good way to stay in touch. People email me all the time, uh, ask questions and so on, and I, I get to those uh, as, as quickly as I can. Um, I took too long to get to back to Anthony. Hey, Anthony, welcome to the program. What's your, uh, what's your question today? Uh, I have a question about inflation protection bonds. I bought uh, a, a bunch of I-bonds, U.S. government savings bonds, I-bonds, several years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously in the last few years they haven't been doing much. But the question I had is there are also inflation-protected uh, bond funds. And the question I had is, what's the difference between the two? What does the bond funds invest in that the government, you know, bond funds, you know, uh, those are basically all they have. Yeah. So what does the inflation funds invest in? Well, t- are they different? Yeah. Now, typically, if they if the fund says that it invests in treasury securities that are inflation protected, more than likely they're investing in something called TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, TIPS. You are talking about I-bonds, which is a form of U.S. government savings bonds, which work very similarly, but TIPS um, trade on the on the uh, financial markets in the bond market. I-bonds do not. I-bonds are, a, are a, an investment with, between you and the government. So theoretically, very similar uh, but these funds, if they are pure treasury um, inflation protected funds, they're investing in tips. Okay, yeah, because uh, on the I bonds, you're limited to the amount that uh, you can buy yeah. in any given year. Yeah. And uh, that's one thing. Also, they quit pay, paying interest after 30 years. Right. Well, I imagine that with the. Uh, uh, bond funds, you know, you can put any amount of money in that you want. Right. You know, and, and plus, you know, they, if they, they'll pay interest forever if you keep them forever. Right. And although they have higher um, denominations, there's nothing that would prevent you as an individual investor from buying tips, just like you buy I-bonds today. You just can't, you know, go buy a $25 one. Uh, they're going to be more expensive, but uh, they trade on the open markets. And as you mentioned, you can own them through mutual funds. You can own them through exchange-traded funds, ETFs, as well as an individual investor. And the you know the investment minimum there would be relatively small. But but the in, uh, they basically pay just about the same interest rates. Yes, similar. They they're very similar. The formula in in the concept is the same. Um, the, the the rate is based on the you know the generally accepted federal uh, you know inflation rate, uh, and that's what you get credited with every year. And like you said, they've been pretty paltry investments, uh, but if uh, inflation sticks around, you're going to start to see that added to the principal value of these bonds every year, and it may be an investment a little more worthy of consideration. Yeah. Well, basically, you know, when I invested in them, you know, 15, 17 years ago, yeah. uh, that they were paying a pretty decent interest rate. And plus, you know, they were bonds. So that's, you yeah. know, one part of your portfolio. So, you know, that was no big deal. I mean, you can invest in bonds one way or another. Right. And so that was one way. Okay, good. Well, uh, thanks for the conversation, Anthony. And I hope we helped a little bit. Yeah, glad to hear your show back on. Well, thank you. We'll we'll uh, we'll see when we uh, get an opening again. I'd love to be with you and everybody else listening to the program this afternoon. Thanks, Anthony, for for uh, chiming in. 
Uh, I don't want to get too rushed, too far behind. I keep making promises what I'm going to talk about, and then we get a great phone call like the last couple, and uh, I don't want to get too far behind if you're waiting to hear about using health savings accounts, HSAs in retirement. Uh, I think this is an overlooked area that a lot of people say, "Uh, I don't know what an HSA is. I don't know, do I qualify? What can I put money away? These things have potentially triple tax advantages, okay? You get a deduction for putting money into an HSA. The money grows tax-free inside the HSA. And then if you pay for qualified medical expenses after retirement, the money comes out tax-free. Okay, so a lot of advantages here. And people say, well, you know, I don't know how to use them. What can I use them for? What do I, um, well, I'll give you some examples. As you approach retirement age, or maybe you're already retired, the money that you've saved in an HSA, number one, doesn't have to be used every year as you go along. Some people confuse them with flexible savings accounts. Oh, I got to use it all this year, or I, or I don't get to keep it. Not true. You can let the money roll over year after year and let it continue to grow if you're investing it. But you can use them here five ways, for example. Number one, to bridge the gap uh, to Medicare. So you retire at 60, 62, 63. You've got to have some money to, um, to pay medical expenses until Medicare kicks in at 65. Tap into your HSA. Uh, you don't get taxed on the money you, uh, that you pull out. There's some limitations, of course. There's some restrictions, and you got to know what those are. Uh, the second use for HSAs is just to pay regular medical bills. Uh, you know, things that Medicare doesn't cover, uh, vision, hearing aids, dental work, things like that. Medicare doesn't cover them, but you can take money out of an HSA, and those are considered qualified expenses. You can use them somewhat to prepare and offset for long-term care expenses, for example. Uh, HSAs can also cover a portion of long-term care costs, but can only pay a limited amount toward long-term care insurance policy premiums. You can use some of the money for that, but uh, there are limits. But that's another way of paying for long-term care or offsetting the cost, at least. Idea number four, use them to help cover Medicare premiums themselves, right? You can actually use HSA money to pay for Medicare Part A, Part B, uh, Part C, Medicare Advantage, Part D, prescription drug coverage. You cannot tap into your HSA to pay for Medicap or supplemental Medicare policies, but for Medicare itself, absolutely. And number five is to, you know, to simply pay for personal expenses. Once you enroll in Medicare, you can use your HSA to pay for any non-qualified medical expense that you want. You can renovate your house if you want. You don't have to pay, um, you don't have to pay any state or federal income taxes for those expenditures, but you do have to pay taxes on the investment gains. So it's like so many of the other programs, what you put in. Uh, You may have to pay taxes on some of the money if it's not used for medical expenses. But it's there. It's your money. You can use it uh, any way you want. You may just lose some of the tax advantages that come along with the program. So HSAs, do some research there and and take advantage of them. We'll take a break here and uh, come back with some more ideas. I'm not going to make any promises. Who knows what happens after the break? But we'll find out. I'll find out right along with you. As the KMOX Money Show continues, stay with us. Money. 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 <laughs> At your service, Mike Brown and the Money Show on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX.
talked a little earlier in the um, in the program this hour, in fact, about how tough this uh, pandemic has been on older Americans, 65 plus. You know, it's it's been tough on everybody. There's no no happy face to put on it. And it's been tough for people who are living paycheck to paycheck and have seen their their debts get out of control, things like that. I want to, you know, just pass along real quickly some ideas on um, some ways to reduce debt, to chip away at it, if you will. You can't do it all overnight. And I've got a complete list, a good resource in this week's Wealth and Wisdom, if you're signing up for that, at uh, info at MikeBrownFG.com. Send an email there and we'll send you your first issue tomorrow. And there'll be a nice resource in there, 12 Ways to Pay Off Debt, um, starting with, you know, figuring out how you're spending money, tracking your expenses and income. Idea number two, uh, paying off the most expensive debt first. A lot of people say, no, pay off the little one first. That'll give you a psychological advantage. That's true. Great. More power to you. If you want to do it the smart way, though, you pay off the one with the highest interest rate first, and that means you pay off your debts faster and spend less money on interest to do it. Okay, got to use your brain on this. Number three, pay more than the minimum balance every month. That's what gets people into trouble, just paying the minimum, and then things continue to pile up. Uh, Number four, take advantage of balance transfers. Okay, you're able to uh, perhaps move money from a higher interest rate credit card to a smaller one, a lower interest rate, maybe a zero, a special for some period of time. Uh, That's a good way to build a little momentum perhaps, get a little head start, get ahead of the game, uh, and and pay it down as quickly as you can while that interest rate is very, very low. Uh, Number five, and again, talk about a no-brainer, uh, try not to use your credit card so much. Try to, you know, refocus the way you manage your finances so that you're not using credit cards for everything. Now, when they're paid off and you want to use them for, you know, monthly spending and pay them off at the end of the month, that's a different story. Uh, idea number six, there are apps out there that will keep track of your current debts and your progress toward repayment. There's some psychological advantages uh, to take advantage of. Number seven, uh, this is a good one. Delete credit card information from online stores. It's for the only reason it's so easy when they say, oh, we got your credit card. You want to buy this? And you say, sure. And that's that. Uh, if they didn't have your credit card information, you got to go through a lot more trouble to buy something. And maybe that's something that you didn't need to buy in the first place. Number eight, reduce your spending by taking advantage of deals. Okay, that's just a way to, to spend less money. Look for shopping deals and free giveaways to avoid overspending. And if you don't overspend, you're not going to overborrow more than likely. Number nine, change your habits. Spend some time thinking about how you spend money every day, every week, every month. Ask yourself, what can I change about the way I live financially um, to borrow less money without changing my lifestyle a great deal? Uh, idea number 10, work some part-time um, hours, get some overtime, work a, you know, a side hustle. Uh, don't do it forever. You don't have to kill yourself, but take that extra money and use it to pay off your debts. And then when everything is squared away, you know, quit that side job if you want to. Uh, you got to consider perhaps uh, debt consolidation as idea number 11, repaying their debts with a single loan consolidated with one monthly payment that may be lower than the interest rate they were paying on credit cards. And then idea number 12, I really like this one, um, reward yourself for doing a good job. Don't go out and put it on your credit card, 
but find a way to reward yourself when you when you get these debts paid off one by one. Again, all these ideas will be in tomorrow morning's Wealth and Wisdom email. Some terrific resources for you this week and every week, I hope. To get that, send me an email today at info at mikebrownfg.com. Request the newsletter and you'll get your first one tomorrow. Couldn't be simpler. We'll be right back. Money. 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 <laughs> At your service, Mike Brown and the Money Show on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. A few closing thoughts before I leave you this afternoon. Securities offered through Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services are offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors, Inc. Any opinions are those of yours truly, not necessarily those of Raymond James, and are subject to change without notice. There is no guarantee that any statements or forecasts provided will prove to be correct. Investing involves risk, and you may incur a profit or loss, regardless of the strategy selected. Past performance does not guarantee future results, and any indices mentioned today are not available for direct investment. All right, got those folks taken care of. Uh, I just want to tell you that it has been an honor to be at your service here on uh, KMOX, the voice of St. Louis, for uh, a Sunday afternoon. Uh, again, it's rare during uh, the middle of sports season, baseball, as we transition uh, over into uh, football and so on. It's it's a rare opportunity to be with you, especially for two hours on a Sunday afternoon. And I really appreciate your uh, your time and the phone calls that we got today, some good ideas kicking around. Uh, if you uh, are interested in that Wealth and Wisdom uh, email newsletter, which doesn't cost anything, um, send me an email right now if you would to info at mikebrownfg.com, and we'll send you one tomorrow morning and keep you on the list if you want. I wish you continued success. Hope we can get together again soon. Have a great week. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.